0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit.
1: What I'd like to have right now. Where the big boys play. This
0: is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at place dot com. your pop culture home.
2: Well, hello and welcome to another Where the Big Boys Play. And I'm here with uh, Chad as ever. How are you doing, Chad?
0: Doing good, Parv. How are you doing today?
2: Very good. Very good. And uh, are you ready to take a trip to the Egg Dome?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit off the beaten path, I'd say, for us. Um, I mean, we, we certainly are. Uh, recognize most of these guys that we'll be talking about today, but I I don't, I wouldn't call myself a Japanese wrestling expert by any means.
2: No, and I'm definitely not one. Um, the, um, yeah, so we're looking at the New Japan Super Show, uh, today, which was from, uh, March of 1991. Um, I can't remember the actual date now. The 21st. 21st of March. Um... And uh, one of the biggest shows um, in 1991 period, I believe, in terms of gate.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny that uh, this, this show happens three days before WWF thought they were going to have 100,000 people at the LA Coliseum for WrestleMania 7. <laughs> which we, of course, know had to get moved to the uh, LA Sports Arena, but they legitimately seem to have over 50,000 at this show.
2: Uh, before we get into the Meltzers here, Chad, any uh, announcements or anything, or should we just uh, go straight away?
0: No, I've uh, thankfully had a pretty uh, pretty easy week, nothing major going on, I've been watching actually a lot of wrestling um, this past week, a lot of 1997 stuff, and uh, nothing big down the pike, so we can go ahead and start with the Meltzers on my end.
2: Uh, excellent, the only thing I'll say is... Um, Leave us a review on iTunes, we don't say that enough.
0: (laughs) Rank and review us, but only if it's a good review, yeah. Yeah.
2: If you're a long time listener to the show, uh, it'll help us move up the rankings, not that that I've ever checked a single time.
0: (laughs) Me either. I've actually tried to review, uh, not our podcast, that'd be pretty vain, but other podcasts, and for some reason, I, I don't know, I mean iTunes is good and bad, but I think the re- whole review process and that helping the algorithm and what your ranking is is pretty poor because when I've tried to review it's asked me to log in and then I've logged in and it said I wasn't able to review the buy it's kind of a mess. So
2: I'm gonna just go on record, sorry to any Apple fans or employees or anything, but iTunes is a total piece of shit and it keeps on <laughs> getting, and as as the years go on it keeps on getting worse and worse. That's my personal view. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's uh let's do the meltzers then. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra
1: with Dave Meltzer.
2: Um you got any uh, uh torch this week?
0: Yeah we had uh, three torches from uh Wrestle War until the show.
2: So well my first meltzer is on March fourth.
0: Okay, that's almost the same date, so we can just bounce back and forth.
2: Okay, well, uh, his first bit of news is that Owen Hart was in Atlanta on Tuesday at center stage uh, for the tapings, uh, but didn't wrestle. He's due to debut soon. Um, but the idea of Wings, a tag team with uh, Brian Pillman, was already flown because they're going to push Pillman in a singles competition. <laughs> um, so uh, I think the entire reason they're bringing Owen in, Owen Hart in, was to go in this tag team with Pillman. Um, I don't really understand that because he had a tag team with uh, Zeng, didn't he? So I don't really want, know what the point of bringing Hart in is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with them wanting Pillman to be a single star, but I don't, I don't understand why they wouldn't have wanted Owen. Period. I mean, when you're employing Tim Horner... Uh, who, who's fine, but I, I would think Owen would be just as valuable, and you could see certainly more upside in someone like Owen, even at this time, than someone like Tim Horner.
2: And if you read the Meltzers in the late 80s and stuff, he really, like, he consistently rates Owen Hart as one of the best wrestlers in the world. He's like a total mark for Owen Hart.
0: Yeah, I think that's mostly just hype from the... Uh, Kind of stampede stuff and just uh, Owen's athletic ability kind of shining through.
2: Well, um, in other news, the hype for the Tokyo Dome show has sold uh, about thirty thousand tickets so far already, which is pretty good going. Malta um, says that people keep on asking him about former referee Tommy Young. Do you remember him, Chad? Yeah. <laughs> Here is his status uh, as as of March fourth, nineteen ninety one. He was injured about a year ago, taking a bad bump during a TV match. It turned out that he had a spinal injury, and it didn't look as though he'd ever be able to return, because it could have left him quadriplegic. However, he had had a meeting with a doctor, and they were hopeful that another operation could transplant the bone taken from his neck, and if this happens, which is a long shot, he's hopeful of a return. So that is the situation for Tommy Young there. Um, did, Did he ever return?
0: Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, no.
2: I don't think he did. Although I, I, I have a, he occasionally crops up in shoot interviews and things, and uh, mm-hmm. he's, a, I, I, always find him quite entertaining. He reminds me of like an old woman or something.
0: Fucking uh, <laughs> like an old woman.
2: Um, there is currently a fifty-fifty chance that Butch Reed won't be making his uh, commitments because the talk that Meltzer has heard is that he's uh, heading for the rodeo circuit and out of wrestling. Um, And I I think there's some some truth to that. I think he does, like, Butch Reed does go on to be like... What's the rodeo circuit, Chad?
0: I would guess he... uh, Well, the... the, the, I mean, I'm not... I'm certainly not going to say I'm an expert in rodeo. But but they do have the... um, They do have, like, the pro bull riding circuit that travels around to the town. and, And then they also have... Rodeos that travel from town to town, doing of uh, kind of various events and stuff. So I don't know how it is in England, par, but I kind of liken it to uh, if you have a fair that comes into town for a couple of weeks at a time. Yeah, like like once a year in my hometown, we have a fair that comes in and sets up and. And then, you know, uh, after a couple of weeks, they go to the next town. So that's kind of their circuit. So this is the same deal. Uh, monster trucks, like once a year, the monster trucks will come to Atlanta. Uh, the motocross will come to Atlanta once a year. So it seems kind of like that's the uh, acquainted to the rodeo circuit.
2: Right. Well, we'd never have rodeo in this country. Um, <laughs> it seems bizarre. That seems a bizarre career switch to me for Butch Reed. Like, why would he want to hang up his boots to go into uh, <laughs> go into rodeo of all things?
0: Yeah, I, I can safely say I've never been to a rodeo myself.
2: So most likely, if uh, Reed leaves, Teddy Long will end up managing one man gang, who will then feud with Ron Simmons. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the news there. Um, Vader has either signed or is close to signing a hundred thousand dollar deal. For 100 dates in between Japan dates. Which is not bad money for
0: 1991. No, not at all.
2: Uh, that's a pretty sizable contract for Vader. Um, everyone in the WWF expects Tugboat to be leaving and heading to WCW as the Big Steel Man. <laughs> <laughs> which, is why, uh, which is probably why Tugboat was shown on television this past Monday doing a clean job to Ted DiBiase.
0: Uh-huh. I, I guess I guess that'd be because Dusty was back at the WWF. I mean, back at WCW now.
2: Why was Dusty big friends with Fred Ottman?
0: They're uh, related.
2: Oh right, is that how yeah. he got the job in the first place?
0: I would imagine, probably so.
2: Well, you you know, Chad, I'm partial to a bit of uh, D.B.R.C. And um, if any uh, anyone interested, I went and tracked down that match and watched it, <laughs> and I left a review on P.W.O in the microscope section, so you can check that out. <laughs> Yeah, it was not bad, not bad match. Um but uh that doesn't happen, does it, because Tugboat goes on to be Typhoon.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, he wouldn't come in until ninety uh, three, so still a ways away.
2: And in the infamous uh, shockmaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh Meltzer quips it's the WWF gain if he leaves. So <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs>
0: Meltzer hates Tugboat.
2: <laughs> tugboat not a great worker. I'll be honest. I'd like Earthquake is a great worker, but not Typhoon. No. Um, Paulie and Missy Hyatt uh, reignited their feud during a commercial break when Paulie came out and the crowd started chanting We Want Missy. And he said, If you've got $10, you can have Missy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lord.
2: Um, during Big Josh's matches, the crowds are now chanting Matt Bourne. Matt Bourne is pretending not to be Matt Bourne, uh, and but still they're not having it. So there we go. Do you believe that?
0: Oh, uh, I mean I, th- I think this again is a little bit of a overreaction. I I mean on the footage I've seen of 91 there hasn't been any audible Matt Bourne tense. Of course they could have uh canned it out, but uh, I mean maybe one bozo is chanting Matt Bourne, but I don't I don't think you know, sometimes Meltzer acts like everybody in the arena was chanting uh, yeah. Matt Bourne. It, it, it feels a little bit like when Bray Wyatt debuted and there was a couple of fans that chanted Husky Harris. And that actually was audible for a little bit. But
2: Well, um, they are using canned, uh, canned heat at this point in, yeah. uh, on the WCW tapings. It's a point that Meltzer brings up elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah. The the, the 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 weirdest one is uh is still Bobby Eaton Bobby that's the weirdest weirdest entrance <laughs> music ever. Um, Big Cat is now the bodyguard for Alexandria York. Um, we're going to see a mid card feud between Tom Zink and Bobby Eaton, taking on Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell soon, culminating in scaffold matches between Eaton and Landell. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, Ranger Ross uh was back, and he put Landell over. ...who has dropped weight and is going to be giving a push. Meltzer puts in brackets, I wonder why. Any ideas on
0: that? He says that Landell's going to get a push? Yeah. Mm, well, we'll uh, say that doesn't yeah, quite happen. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I have a bit, of need, a bit yeah. more on that soon, but uh, any any ideas on the wonder why bit that he puts there? I don't know why, uh, yeah. Landau's one of these guys who was basically fired by every single booker he ever worked for, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, he didn't have a lengthy run, I would say, with any promotion.
2: And finally, this sounds awesome, and I'd love to track it down. Um, Jim Ross did an interview on air with Ranger Ross, and Ric Flair came in going nuts, (laughs) a la Ric Flair of uh, 1985, and he destroyed Ranger Ross, saying that he hates trash like him. And then a berserk flair went through the names of the top contenders like Sting, Luger, Scott Steiner, and Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, this was an angle that they did on TV of basically uh, flair going... Because this is a very weird time for WCW TV because flair and Fujinami, they would hype from here in in Super Bowl. But Fujinami didn't do actually any kind of on-air interviews or anything like that, and he only came over for the show. So you had this stuff where they were still trying to sell the house shows as well, and it was Flair versus Sting and/or El Gigante and tags. Uh, so that kind of played into that with him going crazy from Sting and El Gigante getting a one-up on him. Uh, <laughs> so he decides to interrupt Ranger Ross's promo.
2: Yeah, know I, I noticed Round the Horn basically they're doing Flare versus Sting with uh El Gigante as the as the special guest ref on all yeah. our shows at this time. So anyway, my my next uh, meltzer is March eleventh, uh so you must have a torch in between there. Yeah, so we
0: have uh torch, let me get the number real quick. Torch one eleven. And uh not I mean again with these torches this uh this um this week that I'll be talking about. There's not a whole lot of WCW stuff. It felt like they were certainly in WrestleMania mode. Yeah. Uh, and there was a couple good articles just on the non-WCW. There's a really good article, I thought, by Bruce Mitchell talking about the whole Desert Storm angle. Uh, but but anyway, so in Torch 111, Keller says actually that statistically Wrestle War was the best major show since Great American Bash 1989. Uh, so, so we had talked about that a little bit in our last show, where we thought that ranked. And um,
2: does he mean in terms of match quality or in terms of drawing?
0: He means in terms of they each grade the show, like him and the contributors, on a right. one through ten, and that average. I think he, I had, I had the average, but it was like a seven point eight or something like that, maybe. Mm. So, uh, or seven, it was in the sevens. So it got a good, good showing. And, uh, he also put over dusty on color commentary on wrestle war and said he was much better in the clash, which I would agree with.
2: Yeah, he was. Yeah.
0: And then, uh, he mentions that him, Dave Meltzer and Steve Beverly will be on the WCW hotline live with Jim (laughs) Hurd, uh, which I'd like to heard. Yeah. That seems like that would have been an interesting uh, situation. I don't know how hard they went at Hurd, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, regardless of what you think about Hurd, you got to give him credit. I don't. It's kind of like the Dixie Carter thing, though, like how Dixie is on Twitter and and will do occasional interviews. I mean, that's kind of how I feel like with Hurd here because he did do the torch talk. He's agreed to do this hotline. I I can't never decide whether I think that's admirable or makes him look Bush league.
2: He's uh yeah, evil Jim Heard. Uh, I, I actually think it's um it's the latter Chad. I mean, you're like you're trying to compete with the WWF on a national level. How many people are gonna care about Dave Meltzer in nineteen ninety one? Like two right. hundred?
0: yeah well yeah i mean even if it's a couple thousand you're talking about the hardcores of the hardcore so
2: i mean they're already sold right you don't need you don't need to court them as fans so yeah it's kind of like um yeah so i i can't see the point and it's also going i mean can you imagine somebody like vince senior uh (laughs) talking to meltzer it's like ridiculous you know so anyway carry on
0: and then I thought this was weird. Kind of sometimes Keller has these re- where he reports stuff as fact and then are not. So he said that Bobby Eaton was a member of the York Foundation currently, along with Terry Taylor, Buddy Landell, um, and and I don't know where that came from because they did do a thing where Eaton saved Terry Taylor, uh, but they didn't shake hands or nothing. So so I don't know at the uh, it was never like he became an official member of the York Foundation, as far as I know. They're currently
2: feuding, aren't they? No.
0: Well, that I think this is the week before like that happens, where they kind of start feuding, and then Eaton turns face. But during that interim time, he was never, as far as I know, like officially uh, managed by Alexander York or anything.
2: I, I just think Kel is a bit more willing to just go with a go with a hunch or something and
0: right right
2: that's what where see and
0: like. uh that's all from that edition
2: well my next one is uh March the eleventh okay um, and the eggdome show is probably going to be the largest live gate for any wrestling company in nineteen ninety one which is something to publicize for a company that is considered number two says Meltzer um and they're doing a little experiment basically uh with because you know this was a like a mini pay-per-view priced at
0: $9.95 right
2: um and there's been talk of doing monthly $9.95 pay-per-view shows um Meltzer though and he's pretty strong on this says that they probably should have given this free on TV this should have been a clash he thinks um and he says that basically on pay-per-view only the hardcores will see it, and they aren't the ones that the WCW has to convince that they are major league. And given that they're in this big stadium with sixty thousand people there, um, you know you need to have the casual fans see that so that they can see that WCW is a big, big name player. Um, also, he says since they're going to go in with this rematch angle with Fujinami at Super Brawl. And Fujinami is virtually unknown in the U.S. It would make sense to give him the exposure as well. So he's saying that really this should be a free uh, card on TV in order to hype Super Brawl. Any thoughts, Tred?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Again, because of what Meltzer says, they are going with a rematch angle. Uh, a couple of the other matches aren't exactly. I mean, Sting versus Muda we've seen multiple times before, including sometimes on TV. Uh, so I I don't have a problem with that being a clash. I thought that would be a good idea, actually.
2: Yeah, I I think it talks a lot of sense. Um, like, you know, if you're gonna put something on pay-per-view, you want to give the matches that, you know, maybe some casual fans will will pay for. No, nobody, I mean, let's face it, nobody's going to pay to watch, um, you know, the Steiners versus two Japanese guys you've never heard of. Right. Um, WCW are thinking of putting together a Best of Ric Flair show for $9.95 in September. (laughs) So, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meltzer says that while Flair versus Fujinami looks good on paper... It's not the dream match it would have been in 1988. Because Fujinami hasn't been the same since coming back from injury.
0: Yeah, so that, that's one thing we'll talk about when we get to the actual match. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, uh, Fujinami in the 90s is a, a really kind of interesting case of someone that in 1983, uh, from 1980 to 1983, a strong argument. I think he's one of the top three or four best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. Based on the footage we have, and then uh, still hung on and was fairly good after that. And but but yeah, him in the '90s is really hit or miss from what I've seen.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I've been watching some of that uh, early '80s New Japan stuff uh, off and on recently. Um, and uh, Fujinami is basically a super worker at that at that age. Um, <laughs> and he, at the moment, I'm I'm only into 1981 but he is on in contention to be there with Flair and uh, Jumbo as a uh, worker of the 80s i, I guess you'd probably put Lawler in there as well yeah um those are the, those are the kind of guys who've got the volume of quality matches uh, in the 80s um anyway he missed 18 months after a few back operations and since coming back just hasn't looked like the same wrestler he's really missed a step says meltzer um, the only exception is a strap match with Vader that he had in January. Have you seen that?
0: Okay, uh, I don't know if it's the match. It's not. It's not built as a straight strap match. He has a match with Vader from January seventh, and that is a, a good match with uh, Fujinami working as an underdog, uh, very underneath against Vader. Vader was like a monster in that match. So uh, that that is probably the best match I'd seen from him from the late eighties, early nineties.
2: Yeah. Um, Malta says that Flair is still probably the best wrestler in the U.S. Uh, even in nineteen ninety one, but don't go expecting Steamboat versus Flair, says Dave. Um, and I uh I am tend to agree with him. You know that Flair, like everybody says that Flair. I mean he's obviously in decline, but I still think. From now until literally 1996, he still got. I mean, he's still basically one of the best workers around, and you can get a good you can get a good match out of Ric Flair um, up until that time. That's my view. Um, what do you think, Chad? I,
0: w- I would say one of the best, maybe, or in the top ten, or something like that, but not the uh, unequivocal best. Right. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um they are putting uh, they were preparing a major bash tour this summer, including some outdoor shows uh Dave quips when they can't draw more than five thousand indoors, what is the need to go outdoors? good point i think
0: yeah that's uh, like a dusty move
2: yeah, very dusty the tour the bash tour i mean mm-hmm. it, you can see the dusty's booking is basically let's do everything we did in nineteen
0: eighty seven eight eight right right
2: um Robert Gibson has been given his notice. Uh, he was being kept on salary, even though they didn't he didn't have a contract uh but now they've decided to do away with the rock and roll express and the four Horsemen forever to concentrate on new things uh any great loss robert Gibson
0: well in the and uh I made a note of this too because it's in the torch and um I mean he comes back by a great american bash uh so i don't know um whether that was just kind of like he was work in just a few spots for them, or or what, but but yeah, I mean, they were wanting to go a different direction with the Rock and Roll Express, Um, I mean, on one hand, the Rock and Roll Express, it does feel like it's kind of played by the end of the 90s, uh, 1990, because they'd been a team for so long. But then, on the other hand, too, uh, when they do go to Smoky Mount Wrestling together, they do draw well, so maybe there was a little bit left of the tank, so I'm kind of conflicted on that one.
2: Yeah, um, I would say uh, they weren't over in WCW. Right. Um, last time we saw them. Uh, and that goes uh, that was also true of the Fantastics, if you remember.
1: It's like sure. something
2: about that type of team failed to get over with the early 90s crowds. Um Apparently, uh, Buddy Landell cut a great promo about how he was like a kid on the sidelines in the milk commercial, begging the coach to put him in because he knows that he can bust through that line. Um, Obviously, uh, I haven't seen this milk commercial, but um, anybody who remembers 1991, maybe you know what Dave is talking about there. (laughs) Yeah, I Um, I don't
0: know either the milk commercial or the Landell promo he's talking about, so...
2: Black Bart is going to come in full-time. All right. Uh, Yes. You you like a bit of Black Bart? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, this is probably the funniest piece of news um, uh, in any of this week's uh, newsletters. It's being reported that Missy Hyatt has got engaged to
1: Yes,
0: Jason Hervey.
2: (laughs) Jason Hervey.
0: (laughs) I had that note as well.
2: Incredible. Um, And uh, did you uh, listen to... um, uh, Steve Austin's uh, uh interview with uh, Eric Bischoff I'm slowly halfway through it because it's
0: nah, I haven't listened to any of that
2: it's monster it's very long but um Jason Hervey is Bischoff's like uh business partner do you know that
0: yeah oh yeah yeah they're they're um that's why I was saying um when they showed him at the clash or wrestle he was at War, uh, that's why I was mentioning. I wonder if him and Bischoff had like started chumming it up backstage because they are like legit best friends. Yeah, and well, business partners. Um, yeah,
2: I think they had started to do business at this time, according to according to Bischoff, because um, Bischoff's still like in the death throes of AWA, but he's coming in soon. And it was um, it was actually his work with Jason Hervey that helped him get the job. So uh, both the, the, his initial announcer job. And then when he actually, uh, when he actually becomes, you know, uh, the big executive, so mm. they'd already started to do some TV production stuff. Um, anyway, apparently this thing with uh, Missy Hyatt and Jason Hervey is uh, currently the single most talked-about thing in the wrestling business.
0: Right. Yeah, so, that's what a Killer was saying too.
2: Um, now, for me, this is rather disturbing because uh, my image of Jason Hervey is still the fourteen-year-old boy that we saw at that clash. <laughs> Like we saw it, didn't we see him recently? He's still like twelve or something, isn't he? He's well, still-
0: yeah. Let's see. Let's see how old these uh, lovebirds would have been at this time. <laughs> so, so Missy was born in 1963. Shit. She's, so she's old. she, yeah. So she would have been 27, 27 at this point because wow. her birthdays in October.
2: She's a bit and a older than I thought she was.
0: Yeah, so she's 27, and our, our boy Hervey was born in 1972. So he was he was uh, about to turn 19. He was still 18 years old, Jesus Christ. actually, right when that newsletter came out, because his birthday's in uh, April. So he was about to have his 19th birthday, <laughs> and she was 27. So that's a pretty <laughs> good. Uh, that's no, a pretty good.
2: That is a result if uh, if he did have a piece of missy that is a result yes. for jason hervey he's pulling uh, he's pulling what seven eight years above him above yeah his, uh, that's
0: that's that's a feather in his cap i would say
2: that's a stud that's a stud right there mr hervey
0: <laughs> that's amazing
2: um yeah, well, I wonder who was on top in that encounter <laughs> <laughs> I think Missy probably uh, ate him for breakfast anyway <laughs> let's um let's move on <laughs> what's in the next torch?
0: Uh well not a lot actually you mentioned most of the stuff um Keller talks about like the WCW Pro from Chicago tapings that they did yeah. and how they had a weird thing where Tony was announcing but he thinks it'll be overdubbed by Lynch Russell and the Freebirds yeah and then uh, he he yeah. also says that they expect over fifty thousand in for the Egg Dome show yeah. And then along with Robert Gibson, he had the note about Buddy Landell, which I'm thinking is probably in your next uh, observer yeah. about uh, Buddy.
2: Oh, oh, yeah, we don't want spoilers.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. it for this one. Well,
2: March 18th, and uh, wrestling at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum had its final weekly wrestling car this week, which is a, a non-WCW story, but I thought I'd mention it because um, it's, it's a quite a decent bit of writing by um melter looking at some of the history of that stuff but the final show is going to be headlined by lawler versus terry funk for the uswa title good match chad
0: um we we only saw clips and it's funny because uh that what what happened was they had a dispute with the building so then they started running this other building during the summer (laughs) And over TV, they desperately keep talking about the new building, how it has nicer seats, air, co- better air conditioning, uh, yeah. better amenities. They basically call the uh, Mid South Coliseum a shithole, but uh, but then they're right back there by the fall. <laughs> so once <laughs> once they uh, figure out their dispute, so they they go back fairly quickly.
2: Yeah, no, they'd been drawing that place for what twenty years or something at that point.
0: It's, yeah. Uh...
2: Wow. pretty impressive to uh keep on um like getting near sellouts in that week on week on week um one of the ama- most amazing things in wrestling i think
0: well even yeah i mean i would say by this point they were probably happy with i don't know a few five thousand people yeah. which is not that's about a third capacity probably but um but still week to week that's not terrible you know i mean i don't think a company like Ring of Honor now couldn't run the same place.
2: Well, I was going to say every... is, it, uh, what about TNA? When they run in the same oh, yeah, they and... can't. Yeah,
0: they can't. No, they, they, can't. Don't
2: 5, now, they
0: don't get 5000 now, weekly.
2: They don't do, Yeah. terrible, terrible show. Um, anyway, sorry to any TNA fans who listen to this. In fact, if, you're, if you are a TNA fan and listen to what you're doing, listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um no uh no issue of the observer next week because dave is headed to the egg dome i love it when dave has his little japanese adventures so uh he's going o- he's going over there um owen hart and one man gang both debuted on the march 5th show in marietta georgia your neck of the woods
0: yeah that's at the uh, Cobb county civic center
2: yep uh and um your boy uh <laughs> that must've been close to where your boy um uh, Bob Bossman was uh, was uh, you know an, an employee. He was he was a legit employee, wasn't
0: he? In Cobb county. Uh, well, well, Cobb County is actually a pretty sprawling county in Georgia. Um, a, a little known fact, but uh, Georgia actually has more counties than any other state. But. Uh, uh Cobb County is one of the bigger ones so where Bossman was located in the Hiram, Powder Springs, Dallas, Georgia area is still a good drive uh you know 20-30 minutes from where the Cobb County Civic Center is. Well,
2: well uh if my parents are going to uh, Georgia in a couple of weeks Chad they're going to um Savannah. Nice there?
0: Yeah I, I really like Savannah um yeah, really cool town it feels different from any other town in georgia though
2: right well they are they are amped and then they were like um yeah and then we're thinking of going to charlotte i was like oh you're gonna go on a wrestling tour there because <laughs> like, uh, um, uh, i obviously associate charlotte with rick flair immediately so. yeah anyway that's uh by the by um the status of butch reed is still in question uh, he wasn't at the TV tapings. However, he made all his midweek shots and is being advertised for shows in mid-April. Uh, I think we still we see Butch Reed a couple more times, don't we?
0: Um, I think uh, Super Brawls his last.
2: Yeah, because there's the match Simmons, isn't there?
0: Yes, that's at yeah. Super Brawl, and then uh, I don't think he's on the GAB 91 show. So.
2: And Reed is basically done as a wrestler after that. I mean, we could talk about it then, but... It's just...
0: it's, as far as, like, a mainstream, yeah, he did some indie stuff, but, uh yeah. It's
2: really weird that a guy who had a career like that and then just kind of stopped, like... I, I wouldn't say he's in his prime, but he's still got, like, what, another 10 years in him, I would say?
0: Uh, well, I don't know about 10, but I would... I would. I could see him kind of being, uh, yeah, I mean, around a few more years at least until the kind of new Attitude Era came in.
2: Yeah. Now, get this, this piece of news was incredible, I thought. Big John Studd talked to WCW about coming in.
1: Mm.
2: <laughs> but apparently that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. What the hell could they have done with it? Can you imagine Big John Studd in 1991?
0: Yeah, I mean, he failed with his comeback in 1989, so I don't know uh, why they thought two years later he'd be uh, well, George, good to go. Yeah, bring, even.
2: bring him in, set him up with a few with JYD. Let's, oh, let's, let's, let's do it like it's 1983 again. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Dustin Rhodes and Stan Hansen are set to work a program down the line. Um, that didn't happen, did it?
0: No, and that would have been interesting to see. Uh,
2: now, here's the bit of news we've been waiting for. Um, mm-hmm. Buddy Landell <laughs> has been fired. Um, do you have the uh, reason for the firing there, Chad? Cause I... I
0: don't. Yeah, he just said that uh, he'd been let go.
2: This is really funny. Buddy Landell has been fired for apparently blowing snot on a hotel manager while on the road. (laughs) Imagine that's the reason you get fired. Um, he's been on double secret probation anyway, so this, uh, was more than the straw that broke the camel's back. So... That's so stiff. He was sat for a push and he blew snot on a hotel manager and got fired. He's like, a. He's like one of those like school kids who keeps on getting you know suspended or expelled, and then he does something stupid and is chucked uh, out of another school, you know.
0: Yeah, just a constant kind of f uh, up. So.
2: Yeah, he must look. He he he's a guy who must look back on his career and think, "Oh, fuck, he fucked up there. Like it's blowing snot on a hotel manager." <laughs> If you if uh, if you were that hotel manager, by the way, write in. Let us know. Uh, Bobby <laughs> Bobby Eaton is now going to feud with Terry Taylor instead. Um, and now uh, another update on a story clarification. No matter what has been recorded or what you might have read, Missy Hyatt and Jason Hervey are not engaged. So mm. there we go. But I wonder where that story... They must have done something for that story to just be so... You know, that rumour to be out there. Um,
0: Yeah, everybody apparently was talking about it. So, I don't know.
2: Bizarre. Still, uh, game on, Jason. Just 19 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, WCW is negotiating with Burt Reynolds to come in for their May 19th show to do something with Ron Simmons. Uh, Reynolds is said to be a WCW fan... Uh, because of Simmons, because they're both Florida State University alumni. Right. Um, the June Clash is set to feature a pose down with two IFBB bodybuilders, uh, with possibly Lex Luger being involved. Um, and uh, I wonder if that's the start of Luger as bodybuilder. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has a little weird bit of his career where he goes to the, what's that thing that Vince set up? <laughs>
0: God, what is it, the WBF?
2: WBF. <laughs> um, Diamond Dallas Page is now doing WCW Pro with Lance Russell, replacing the Freebirds, who apparently have both lost their vocal cords at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. Um, I wonder what they were doing. That's obviously like some wild night out that the two of them have had.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
2: Any uh, any more torch? I've just got one more one more little bit of uh, observer.
0: Okay, so um, in the torch they talk about Iron Sheik finally coming into the WWF, and uh, and then apparently Tracy Smothers got into it with some heel fans at center stage. Right, got into a bit of a shouting match, a temper tantrum there. And, uh, and the the last omni show just happened, and Keller said there's about 5,000 people there, and Flair beat Sting in the main event there. So uh, that's, that's kind of interesting around this time. Steen's getting downplayed a little bit. Yeah. And, and uh, Keller talks about Paul E a lot. He says his deal ends on April 1st, and if the uh, if WCW declines to sign him, he thinks the WWF would be very interested in him.
2: Wow, that's interesting.
0: And then um, and then Keller thinks that this April 23rd date in Augusta, Georgia is going to be a clash, which it's not. And uh, around this time, the Steam versus Larry Sabisco TV match airs, which is a great match. I'm oh, um,
2: not even here to that match.
0: Yeah, that'll be a match we'll watch when we do our supplement TV matches. But really, uh, for those two guys... Uh, Larry in '91 and Sting. Uh, period. I thought that was a fantastic match.
2: Well, well, I'm interested to check that one out.
0: Swart um, like a brawl, um, like an eight-minute, out-of-control kind of brawl. Very high-intense match.
2: Okay. Well, um, yeah, and uh, to Paulie. Now, Paul does Paulie actually have any run in WF before? Like the end of ECW, he doesn't, does he?
0: Only, yeah. I mean, only when he would appear when ECW and WWF were working, you know, together in '97.
2: I can't actually imagine him up there because um, his whole like shtick was being like a a dick from New York who who is down south. Um, so like he'd probably be a babyface in New York, wouldn't he? <laughs> Like, uh, I mean, he he was basically playing like a version of um a version of like Vince, <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> In
0: Some ways, yes.
2: Yeah, well, well, you know, I mean, Vince. If you listen to Vince on commentary, even in like 1991, he's very derogatory about people from the south. <laughs> Like who 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 almost always happen to be cowboys or hillbillies or.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vince. Uh, every time Hillbilly Jam comes out, you get a from Vince or something like that.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, the the only other, so the the last newsletter I've got is April the first, and this is the um, this is the issue where Dave is actually in Japan, um, and it's like a, all that's in this newsletter is a review of uh, WrestleMania and a review of. The, um, the Egg Dome show that we're going to watch. Um, so I've got his ratings. But there are there is... I mean, if you can track this down, I'm not going to read it all out, but it's worth taking a look if you can find these old newsletters. Um, there's some interesting stuff about the differences between uh, US fans and Japanese fans, and in the media coverage. Um, you know, he does like an extended comparison.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and he talks about like how Inoki uh, and Giant Barber both have a different kind of aura about them and he he said like he takes quite a while to explain this but he's like they're both respected in the way that you might respect the u.s president or something like that it's like a different type of a different type of celebrity status i guess it's like they're on an echelon above like your average kind of um star does that make sense to you
0: yeah that's interesting i i would i guess they seem more esteemed than uh, someone like Vance would around this point.
2: Yeah, and he he also talks about like um, the way that the, the wrestlers are treated and the kind of the 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 fact that the uh, wrestling isn't treated like a joke by the mainstream media and all sorts of different things. It's quite an interesting uh, read, um, but uh, like uh, yeah, probably one for your own time. But um, worth taking a look at. Um, so that's it. Uh, I'm ready to ready to get into the show.
0: All right, and I don't know uh, when we get to the actual match ratings, just a note on Keller is because he has match ratings from the issue where it hadn't aired in the US yet and he doesn't make notion whether he's using Dave's ratings or his own or I, I don't know what's going on or like somebody else on location. So uh so I want to put that disclaimer in there. We'll get to it when we start ranking the matches.
2: Well we'll we'll see if the the same
0: matchup, yeah.
2: Ran out sushi in Japan, but there ain't no place that Super Mario Land. So, uh, we're in Tokyo now, uh, and Jim Ross, uh, and Tony Schiavone are there in Japan. Uh, Ross says this is the Rumble in the Rising Sun, and there are over 50,000 fans in attendance. Um, and according to Wikipedia, there are actually over 60, was it 65,000 for this show?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was a word number,
2: or, um...
0: Um, he, you know, with the, uh, with Japan, you have to be weary, whether it's a work number or a legit number, but it, it looked pretty crowded. I mean, I think we can safely say that.
2: Um, Ross then claims that tickets, uh, cost about $250. Do you, be- <laughs> no, do you believe that? Cause I-, that
0: I, I, I don't believe that,
2: <laughs> actually. And then, uh, well, basically, um, I have, this is one of the hardest shows, uh, to find. Uh, out there and it took us what two weeks to find the show
0: yeah so i mean there there's a couple of things that happened here i i don't i would like to know that this is something that uh some of our older fans can probably answer but when they did air it in uh the u.s was it the two hour edited version or did they air all the matches kind of straight through? because I do know there's a Japanese version that shows all the matches? I,
2: I do actually know the answer to this, Chad. They show the okay. edited version. Which is, which so is,
0: it's just a two hour block.
2: Yeah one hour 50. Yeah. yeah. Melta's got a note about this in the uh, April the first edition that um, they're going to take out all of the matches that don't have US interest. And also the ones that don't um serve a storyline purpose, so like there's that doom match for example, that didn't make the cup.
1: mm
2: mm-hmm. So that didn't further any storylines or anything, so they, they take that out. So yeah. Um so this version that we saw on the Turner video is basically what aired. Okay. Um and uh that's a, like some of the matches are clipped to hell as well, so um we can talk about that when we get to them. Right. Um, so anyway, at the start of that, at the start of um, this uh, Turner broadcast, um, we see um, like a montage of all of the WCW wrestlers in uh, Japan. So Mr. Hughes comes out, or the big cat as he was then. Um, Sting is there. Giant Gonzalez is there, who's who literally since the minute he gets to Japan has just got a massive smile on his face wherever he goes. <laughs> um, Ric Flair is there looking stately and uh you know where, like flair's kind of like in like you know he's in dignitary mode you know he he looks yeah. he looks like he's uh playing the part of a dignitary
0: yeah flair uh, does look like an ambassador uh for the country
2: and uh, i quite like that i think it's quite um i think it's quite um cute in a way
0: i i think that's one thing that helps flair that um i mean throughout his career whenever he which, which is kind of funny when you know the true flair, you know, like, uh, like dips to tobacco uh, gets yeah. pretty drunk and kind of does a
1: little
0: <laughs> off the rails a little bit. But uh, but when he cleans, you know, whenever he cleans himself up and wears a suit, especially at this time, he, he you know, he looked like a businessman yeah. uh, that could do a press conference or could be at a, a signing like when, um, you know, You know, I envision, like, when they uh, signed a new TV deal or whatever with Turner, he could have been there with the handshake or something.
2: He he carries himself like a VIP. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Fujinami's uh, also there signing a contract. There's a nice big uh, buffet uh, there. Um, Evil Jim Hurd is seen (laughs) helping helping himself to some food. (laughs) Um, Arn Anderson is trying on some Japanese robes. Wearing his glasses. Apparently,
0: uh, yeah. Apparently, he bought one because gives the little attendant a little like, uh, yeah, I'm taking this one. Uh, that that was a, a surreal moment <laughs> seeing Arn Anderson try on this robe.
2: Um, and we go over from there to our first match, um, which is um the uh, the the Z Man or the z Man, as I say, uh Tim Horner. So really taking the star power to Japan. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> Flyin' Brian. Um, And they're taking on, and you may have to help me with these names, Shiro Koshinaka. Sorry, uh, Shiro Koshinaka. Koshinaka, Uh, yeah. Koshinaka, right. Um, uh, Kobayashi.
0: Right.
2: And um,
0: uh,
2: Izuka. Izuka, yeah. Uh, And Izuka's a youngster at this time. And um, he's the one who gets his... Absolutely decked by the Steiners in a few months, right?
0: <laughs> and and Azuka, as we're recording this on a Sunday morning, uh, New Japan had a pay-per-view uh, that just ended a couple hours ago, and Azuka wrestled on that pay-per-view.
2: Right, and I'm guessing what he's in his like 40s now, maybe.
0: Oh yeah, so they I, they said actually on commentary he was 24. Yeah. At this time, so if that's legit, that would make him uh, round 47 right now.
2: Right. Is he any good still?
0: No, he's still...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Was he ever any good? He's,
0: he's in... Nah, nah, I don't think he's ever been that good. And, uh... He's, uh, he's mostly in, like, uh, multi-man matches and stuff like that.
2: Mostly in tags. Um...
0: Yeah, kind of... So...
2: So uh like um Ferrara uh, for our US listeners who may not be familiar with the Japanese scene uh who is this uh Kobayashi chap
0: So so Kobayashi was kind of an interesting person through the um through the 80s I would say more than kind of in the 90s where he 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 came on the scene was was really big in uh in New Japan in the early part of the 80s. He feuded a while with Tiger Mask the first one. Yeah. And then and then he switched over to All Japan and he has the match with uh, Tiger Mask 2 Mazawa which like uh him. which won the uh the Day Meltzer match of the year or whatever in 1985. And then he kind of returned back to uh to New Japan, had a series with Hiroshi Hase, who we'll see later, uh, which I watched a few matches of, and that was uh, that was pretty good. Um, and then he was actually the first opponent when Jushin Liger donned his gimmick, and I've seen that match, and that's uh, that's interesting too. And that, but then he kind of through through sort of some bouts with cancer, he kind of bowed out pretty quickly so it it' almost like his run ended prematurely, but during the eighties he was brought up as one of the bigger uh kind of one of the bigger junior stars on the roster
2: yeah uh well thanks- Th- thanks for that you know you told it better than i could um and uh, one of the one of the little uh, um reoccurring uh, tropes on this particular show is that JR and uh, Tony Schiavone keep on telling us about what the Japanese like and what the Japanese do. And uh, Tony, uh, right off the bat here, he tells us that Tom Zink is very well known in this country. Um, And uh, JR keeps on stressing that this will be Japanese rules. 20 count on the outside, over the top rope is legal. Except, except in the title versus title match, which is under WCW rules. Uh, Talk about foreshadowing. (laughs) <laughs> you couldn't see this finish coming off a mile. Uh, I mean, they talked about the rules every single match. Um, Tony notes the different looking turnbuckles, which I thought was quite entertaining. Um, but even more entertaining is Jim Ross noting that the fans aren't bored. But the, <laughs> the fans aren't bored by this match, but wrestling is considered an art form in Japan, and they're showing their respect to the action. So uh, I enjoyed that note. Um... Uh, True? Were they just showing their respects to this match, or were they just bored?
0: Um, I I, I thought the the fans for a Japanese crowd was pretty high. Uh, this whole card, as we'll see, in some stuff that uh, the the Tokyo Dome's an arena that has some weird heat. Yeah. From time to time, and. Some examples of matches that usually don't convey very well in the Tokyo Dome, like junior matches, actually I thought I had good heat on this show. So this felt like a good Tokyo Dome card, to, uh, crowd to yeah, me. Yeah,
2: they were pretty stoked, I thought, and they they actually booed some sometimes as well, which is not right. right. Something that you don't always hear Japanese crowds do. Um, but Jim Ross during this show, I mean, bloody like just during this first match, they're big, flu- they're big fans of high flying moves here. They're big fans of suplexes here. He's constantly talking about what what they're, what they're big fans of. It's like, all right, we get the picture, Jim. Um, what did you think of that whole dynamic of Jim Ross trying to educate us about Japan?
0: Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think that was something that would have played better, again, if this was a clash. Because it does feel like if you ordered the show, you were a pretty good hardcore fan that already had a little basis knowledge of what the Japanese wrestling culture was mm-hmm. uh, in general. So uh, while I appreciated him kind of trying to introduce the audience, I don't know how much of that audience was uh, not you know, already pretty or kind of versed in what the culture was.
2: Yeah, but my only other note going into this match um, is uh, check out Kobayashi's uh, kind of um, Elvis uh, Elvis stylings. <laughs> he looked pretty cool, didn't he?
0: Yeah, I've, I've always liked Kobayashi's hair with the long red uh, tr- kind of trunks that he always has. I thought he has a cool look.
2: He's quite tall for a Japanese. Uh, he must be at least six foot or something. Um, quite a, one of the taller uh, wrestlers there. He always seems like quite he's quite big you know even though he was a junior um anyway, what did you make of this match
0: um so so this was clipped a little bit too uh based on what we got um it actually according to Wikipedia goes twelve minutes we got about seven or eight of that. And basically, Zink, Pillman, and Horner tag in and out and look really good. And uh, Zink and Pillman do some of their double-team moves with the assisted drop kick and the catapult splash. And Pillman, I thought, got a good reaction when he did a high crossbody to the outside. Um, there, there was a moment, I was wondering if you caught it, where Tim Horner does that thing where he, uh, he climbed the top rope with his back facing the ring, and then he did kind of a twisting splash. Yeah, I saw <laughs> and,
1: that, yep. and,
0: and the crowd laughed. You could hear them kind of audibly <laughs> laughing,
1: <laughs> oh, which
0: God. was bad. Uh, so, so the storyline of this match is they just the Americans work over Azuka um, and absolutely kind of isolate him. We get a good pile driver from Zinc uh but but they're they're constantly tagging in and out working over azuka azuka gets a nice standing drop kick is kind of a hope spot and i thought ross during the whole match was really working to put over brian pillman he constantly talked about how pillman was the strongest person in the match uh azuka finally tags out and the japanese team ends up winning which i was a little surprised by when uh, azuka of all people gets a missile drop kick and a dragon suplex he pins uh tim horner
2: it, horner busted out some of his high artillery in this match didn't he yeah like, uh, you don't really see him do that match uh, <laughs> to do those uh kind of slightly botchy suplexes and things that he was pulling out
1: right um
2: but, um, this was a very weird match, I thought, because, uh, Azuka played, uh, face in peril the whole time, and then got the pin. It was basically yeah. the Azuka show. Um, like, the other two, uh, the other two guys barely involved in the match. So, yeah, it's a bit, bit strange, I think.
0: Yeah, we did get the butt-butt from Koshinaka, which, uh, Koshinaka is one of my least favorite, honestly, uh, high Japanese workers. Just someone I've never been able to get behind, um... And this didn't do anything to change my opinion of that.
2: Well, uh, I'm going to say two and a half for this match.
0: Yeah, I went two and a half too. Uh, what did Dave go?
2: Um, brace yourself, three and three quarters.
0: Okay, well, brace yourself even more. So this confirms that Keller, I guess, had someone else because um, he went four stars. That's whoever just, this was, which I, I I can't understand why.
2: Um. Yeah, well, I mean, three and three quarters from Meltzer is a stupidly high for this match, and I don't know, like, I don't really know what they're watching here. Um, wasn't that good?
0: Yeah, I mean, this felt very rudimentary. I mean, the, it was inoffensive and a good opener to kind of get you in the groove, but, uh, you know, didn't feel that far off from the six-man tag opener at WrestleWar, which was no great shake, so... Uh, I can't understand where these high ratings come from.
2: Do you think there's like a real generational disconnect here where we can't get back into the mindset of what wrestling looked like in 1991? But I don't know I don't really know what they do yeah. in this match they, they wouldn't do it in a normal US match, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean I don't I don't think I mean cuz they were doing Zinc and Pillman were doing their same offense they did in the other and it was a pretty basic story of them isolating Azuka, and it wasn't like they were doing big. I mean, a Dragon Suplex, I guess, would have been different at the time, but uh, but I don't think what that's not worth a star or whatever higher than we would go.
2: Yeah, I don't get that at all. So, so the next match we had was uh, Jushin Thunder Liger taking on Akira Nogami. Yeah. Um, now this match was clipped to smithereens on the tape, um, and I understand that the full length one was 16 minutes, and we got about mm-hmm. five minutes of it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so I actually did watch the full version that I have of this, um, and and Liger's in his cool green outfit mm-hmm. for this match. Um and I I really like this match. Uh Nagami is someone I'm not very familiar with uh, that much. Um kind of kind of pedals around but doesn't feel like a, a I, I don't know. This feels like a pretty big spot for him and he comes out in the kabuki tribute gear. Yeah. And uh Basically, this started out with a lot of high spots. So it it starts off very hot with Liger uh, diving to the outside and really having Akira uh, reeling. And then Akira starts working over his leg, and that really plays into the finish where Liger starts to build his comeback. And at one point, he goes for a tombstone piledriver, but his leg's still injured, so his leg is out and uh, re- really great stuff. Really told a good story, I thought, throughout the match of Liger kind of overcoming that. Uh, Akira, I thought, looked pretty strong, but it felt like the Liger show to me in a lot of ways. And then uh, Liger makes his comeback and ends up winning. Um, two to a pretty big pop. And uh, after the Avalanche DDT.
2: Yeah, and two power bombs. Yeah. so Two, uh, two power bombs and a top rope DDT. Um like, yeah, I thought Liger was just awesome in this match. This was uh, all about Liger. Are um, you a big fan of his in general?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Liger guy. Um, I, I, Liger's a guy that's... I would really kind of want to see uh, big picture him, where I'd rank him on my overall workers of all time list. Uh, I think it'd be very interesting because... Even, I mean, last weekend he had a very good, I thought, singles match with Adam Cole in Ring of Honor. uh, That happened last Saturday. Uh, You know, like a three and a quarter, three and a half star match, which is still fine. And he was busting out some submission moves and had the crowd going. He was about the most over guy of the New Japan guys that came over for that U.S. run in Ring of Honor. Um... So so he certainly has longevity i mean as as early as when he was Yamada in nineteen eighty five eighty six he has some good stuff, and then, like I said a week ago, he was in a good match too singles match
2: well, I went three and a half on this
0: yeah i uh, I go four stars um wow. right at four stars i I really think this is a a great juniors match that doesn't follow some of the tropes that bother me with junior matches um that can happen i thought it was smart that they started out with the high spots to get the crowd into the match and then were able to cool it down and convey the story they wanted to tell with the work on liger's leg uh and i thought that was integral in keeping the crowd into it throughout the duration
2: well dave went three and a half as well
0: yeah um keller I think yeah he went three and a half so I I I just can't understand watching the opener and watching this match back to back and liking the opener more I don't I don't get it because the high spots even in this match were more spectacular.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, there is a sense though that uh, I mean you can really see Meltzer as a moves guy in some of these reviews because he says they took turns using holes on each other on each other's bad body part until the ten minute mark when the fans who wanted to see hot moves and flying rather than a match of this type, started chanting, do something, do something.
1: Oh, my
0: God.
2: So it's like... um.
0: That's, so fucking, that's just so fucking annoying, Meltzer. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, take, take a... I mean, put, put a decibel meter up to the TV on what we heard during the opener and what we heard during this match, and there's no way that the crowd heat during this match was lower than what it was during that opener.
2: Do you, do you think melter is prone when he goes to watch shows live to being swayed by the crowd and swayed
0: yes he he certainly i think follows the uh the johnny logic more times than not that the uh, crowd kind of dictates yeah. or has has heavy influence on how well something gets over but but in some ways I think he's wrong. Like in this case, he's, I don't I don't know what he's listening to, but he was wrong. Uh, the crowd was to me way more over in this match than the opener. So um,
2: I agree with that. Okay, well next match, and uh, this is a little bit of a wet dream in my mind. I don't know why people don't make more of this. Arn Anderson and Barry Windham taking on Masato Se- uh, Sato and Chono. Um so, just to see Arn Anderson and Mr. Sato in the same ring is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> when, when do you ever see these two wrestle?
0: Yeah, these are two uh, pricks going at it.
2: Um, now, first question, is on the TV champ again? Because he's wearing a belt of some sort here. And it wasn't explained what belt
0: he's uh, wearing. Yeah, I think he had worn that, but I'll look that up real quick. Alright. I know he's, he's definitely the champion around this time, and by the time we get to... Uh, to, uh, to uh,
2: Super Brawl. Um, Tony mentions that Chono was the protege of Lou and they, they reference a, a match that Thez had with Chono uh, not so long ago. Uh, and Thez was in his 70s when he had this match.
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, so real quickly, yeah. Arn had won the belt. Uh, Zinc only had a 41 day reign, actually. <laughs> so the the uh, it it was on a tape delay, but it aired February 2nd, 1991, when Zinc uh, lost the belt back to Arn. So real quick, I don't I don't know why they gave it to him in the first place, but they did. But yeah, so uh, so Luthes was born in 1916 uh yeah and um and this is actually on some of the 1990 footage uh it's Dez versus masahiro tono from uh i think december 26 1990 on a new japan show so he would have been 74
2: god have you seen that match
0: yeah yeah it's on that 1990 footage uh is it any good um, I mean it is what it is. For a seventy four year old he's he's you know, he's not gonna be flying around, but it's it's pretty incredible to see a seventy four year old wrestling.
2: Wow. Um well, uh in other news here, uh Wyndham's hair is absolutely appalling here. He's got <laughs> uh, he's got that basin cut, which uh I don't know, like it's let somebody's literally put a bowl over his head and just cut around <laughs> the bowl. Um, and he's got a black jack moustache as well. So I don't know what's happening with Barry Windham's uh, image at the moment, but he's looking terrible. Um, and I just thought it was an absolutely awesome moment to see Arn and uh, Sato go head to head in this. I thought it was. Uh, I marked out a little bit. Um, what do you make of this match?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I liked what we. Some of the glimpses we saw. Uh, this is also slightly clipped. Tony says it's Arn's first time in Japan. And we, we basically, for most part, had some pairings, where it was Wyndham and Chono and Saito and Arn, And Wyndham and, and Chono pairing off around this time is interesting because Chono, I would say 91 is probably the best year he ever had as a worker. And uh, Wyndham, you really, after a disappointing 1990, you really see now this is uh, two shows in a row that I thought Barry's looked really good. Uh, He had some stiff strikes here. He gets some big heat when Chona went for the STF on Arn, and Wendell broke it up. He got some huge heat. Uh, He gets boot again when he does a double-axe handle. And I I just thought Barry looked really really good in this match with his float over suplex. Uh, The stiff strikes that I was talking about, his timing... Um, they work on Saito a little bit, and he hulks up on Arn, which got a big reaction yep. from the crowd.
2: That's a proper Saito hulk up.
0: <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and the finish I was the part of the match I had the most problem with. I thought it was a pretty anti-comatic uh, finish, where Barry and Arn win with the running clothesline from Barry, and then Arn pins, um, was it Saito? Yeah, it must have. Been. <clears throat> yeah, he pinned yeah. Saito, which was uh, I was a little surprised by that. Um, but but yeah, so I, I liked the setup to the match. Like I said, the uh, finish was a little disappointing, but overall this was fun.
2: Yeah, uh, I love that float over suplex that Wyndham does. It always looks so smooth, you know, it's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, I could also watch Arn and Wyndham work a heat segment all day long, and I thought they did a pretty effective job of uh, targeting the young Chono here. Um, and then when, uh, Sato was hulking up, I thought that was awesome. And he hit, uh, t- Tony and, uh, Ross called it, um, Sato suplexes. That he had <laughs>
1: um,
2: so I don't know what the actual name of the move was, but that's what they called it. And, um, they did, uh, there was some weird thing where, like, they, they were saying that the horsemen have done, um, homework and that they're vulnerable to the lariat here.
0: Yeah, they were talking about, like, tape trading and stuff during <laughs> this, uh, during this match, which was very odd. So,
2: well, this is one of those matches, because I, I did a little, uh, look around of all of the reviews of this show that were around, you know, uh, um, so I looked at, like, S- Scott Keith and, um, who's at Arnold Furious and, a few, you know, the Dark Pegasus and all those, mm-hmm. uh, all those old reviewers, and, um... Like nobody likes this match. I gave it three stars. Meltzer gave it two stars. Um what did uh, all of those guys give it like two stars. I think it's a bit better than uh, than people give it's more fun than people give it credit for.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um I'm 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 probably giving it the dreaded two and three quarter star rating. <laughs> uh only because of the finish but uh but yeah i, I saw some like star and a half ratings and I, I don't know i mean it seemed fun a lot more fun than that hey keller actually didn't rank this i don't know so it it has to be he had to have someone on location but uh mm. but yeah so this didn't have a ranking which was odd
2: well, well speaking of uh people in the live uh, crowd missing the match uh missing matches and things we got a little segment now where jim ross and tony shivani basically laugh about the japanese concession stand <laughs> uh, so ross points out how there were no hot dogs here and you can get sushi and then
0: what did it, he say like a beers a beer and you or something
2: like yeah that? and then he says and of course you can get film you can get you know film for your car <laughs> yeah, you, you know you know those japanese they love their cameras don't they um so that was basically a little se- section where um J- J- uh, Shivani and Ross basically just laughed about the fact they weren't in the US so that was uh that was a fun little segment um so the next match then uh um is the Big Cat versus El Gigante and um Jim Ross talks about how El Gigante and uh sorry my pronunciation's all over the place with him but uh, how do you say it again Chad El Gigante. El... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, he (laughs) he talks about... um, I'm going to call him Giant Gonzalez. (laughs) He talks about how uh, El Gigante can communicate across the language barrier with his smile. (laughs) And he is smiling an awful lot on this show. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. uh, Ross says that this is a big moment for him, and for all of us, quite frankly. Um, which is a quite creepy little comment from Ross. Um... And uh, the Japanese fans are marking for him. They are, they are going wild for. They seem to cheer when he comes out. Um, and uh, Tony has a little comment. So you know how they have the uh, like the ring announcer wearing the uh, traditional robes. Um, right. Tony says, I wonder if we could get Gary Capetta to wear that during Super Brawl. <laughs> so I thought it was quite funny. And uh, the referee for this match is Bill Alfonso. What's he doing here? Um, so, uh, and he looked absolutely tiny next to El Giante uh, El and they did that spot where uh, he they compared the size of their hands with each other.
0: Right, yeah. And,
2: and Bill Alfonso, I mean, he did look about twice as tall as him. Like, you could literally fold Bill Alfonso up again, and uh, he still probably wouldn't be as tall as him. So, um, anyway, what did you think of this uh, two-minute extravaganza?
0: So I actually thought this was probably the uh, the best use of El Gigante we have seen. Um, he was over. He did a suplex that he kind of milked for the crowd and looked okay. And, uh, I mean, his big boot was pretty bad. But um, uh, then he slept on that claw and got the pinfall in just over two minutes. Uh, he also slammed the big cat. So, as, as far as making Gigante look uh, decent and kind of effective, I thought this was better than anything else we'd seen previous to this.
2: So, even though it takes about 30 seconds for him to actually do it, when he actually did the suplex, I marked. And I, my notes just go, Suplex! El Gigante did a suplex! And then I immediately got on Facebook and uh, and messaged Chad, <laughs> <laughs> saying, oh my god, El Gigante did a suplex. Um... Is this the best uh, El Guilante match ever?
0: <laughs> Two minute. Um,
2: I give it one and a half stars.
0: It's, poss- it's actually possible as far as a singles match. This may be one of the better ones. I'd, I wouldn't be surprised by that.
2: I can't believe he actually got... I mean, Big Cat's like a 300-pound guy as well. Right. Fair play to him. He took a suplex off El Giante And it wasn't like botched or anything. It wasn't even that awkward. It was like an actual suplex. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, one and a half stars. Is that how much a suplex will get you off me? Uh, what, did, <laughs> what did you what did you give it?
0: Yeah, one and a half sounds fair. Oh, that's what Keller gave it. I, I can go along with that.
2: Malta um, doesn't seem to have rated that much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he was getting some concessions or something.
2: Oh, no, here we are. One star. Okay. Uh, Al Guante worked the crowd well and he got over. He could be a big attraction here. He teased his move fine and did do a suplex on Hughes. That's all about all he did, but they don't exactly grow guys that size in Japan. Oh, okay, so... Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best you can... uh, Certainly the most he's ever done, that we've seen him. So he's come come a long way. I feel a bit proud. Uh, Anyway, so the next match... um, And uh, get ready, it's the Steiner brothers taking on Hase and Sazaki. Um... So, I will go to you first, Chad. What did you make of this match?
0: Um, Well, so this match, I guess we can go ahead and spill the beans, is uh, the match that won the Observer Match of the Year. And uh, I, I'll say I like this match, but this is a match that when I first got into Japanese wrestling, I, I didn't watch this show Uh, until very later in life uh, probably 2001 2002 and it was when I first started watching some Japanese stuff um, and knew about this match and the hype around it and it, it didn't never take off for me and I've watched it now probably five or six times and I, I do like the match, I want to state that, but I do view the match kind of as a pure suplex spot fest type match with not a lot of depth, uh, not as smooth as some other spot festes that I've seen. And a, a couple of things like Rick Steiner laughing during the middle of the match at him just being a jerk uh, kind of throws me off the finish with the Frankensteiner I didn't think was executed that well. Uh, so so if you do a spot fest, I'm a little more critical on the actual execution. Um, there, there's that thread on PWO talking about like acceptable sloppiness. Yeah. and uh and this match kind of played into that where I, I when i watched it last night i uh i did have a little bit of a trouble kind of accepting some of the sloppy spots whereas i thought that sort of added to like the steiners versus the nasty boys from halloween havoc it, it kind of seemed to destru- uh, like uh, I, I didn't like it as much here, some of the sloppy moments, and it uh, subtracted from my overall enjoyment of the match. Hase is someone that is maybe my favorite, uh, besides Hashimoto, of all the uh, New Japan heavyweights from the 90s. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go Hase, number two. Uh, but but yeah, so I mean, I know, I know you're gonna gush over it, and I, I want to say I like it. I mean, I'm, I go three and a half, so so it's not like I hate the match, but I don't see it as a match of the year due to the lack of depth. And I I, I actually think there's better examples of Steiner spot fesses. Honestly, I mean, like the to me the Doom matches are are as good. As this, and even their match, they'll have it super brawl. I think I like a tad better than this.
2: Okay, well, um, I actually—I uh, mean, I might as well come out and say I thought this was awesome. <laughs> great match, and um, I, don't, I frankly I don't know where Chad and all the guys from PWGO are coming from on this, because I mean, there's a great explosive start. Scott Steiner's throwing bombs on uh, uh, Hase, so Steiner's right off the bat established themselves like right. We're going to be suplex machines in this uh, match. And then Hase comes back uh, with just a load of flash. And the crowd go wild for him, right? So they're, they're like 100% on Hase's side here. Um, Sasaki, Sasaki gets a bulldog on Rick. Uh, and then he hits him with a massive clothesline. So like Sasaki's like... I mean, how, how do you describe him? He's almost like a Japanese Rick Steiner or something in the way that he's built. Like, he's a big guy, right?
0: Yeah, Sasaki has a thick frame and um, is a very powerhouse. And uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, both him and Hase should be well known to most people listening to this, especially Sasaki. I mean, Kinsuke Sasaki is—he's—he's uh, he's been around for numerous years and had numerous runs. So,
2: yeah. Well, this—I mean, this clothesline was massive, and then um, Scott Steiner. So, say, I, this is a bit I don't understand. Like, this match does have psychology, because Scott Steiner becomes pissed at the crowd and starts to heal it up. Like So, he's reacting to the fact that um, Hase is getting the... You know, the the Japanese team are getting big babyface pops here. And then, Rick... Uh, also, So it's, there's a moment where the Steiner's seem to go into, like, rage mode. It's like they're, like, pissed off that they're not getting... Sheared or something like some some fuse uh, blows, and then Rick plants Hase on the turnbuckle, um, uh, and we get a massive uh, Steiner line. Uh, Scott comes in with a belly to belly. The crowd is still cheering for Hase, uh, who does a DDT. We get a great power bomb uh, by Scott, and then Hase hits a back to back side suplexes on both of the Steiners, and then Sasaki hits his sweet full 360 power slam, um, you know, the which uh, we also see uh, my favorite Ted DiBiase and uh, maybe the row Warriors also do that uh, form of scoop power slam, uh, which always looks cool. And by this point, Scott has just lost it. Um, he's like really like, he's in full like roid rage mode. Um, Sasaki hits a running power slam, you know, British Bulldog style. Uh, we get a superplex by Sasaki on Rick. Hasse bring uh, bridges into a Northern Lights suplex, which is his finisher, um, and uh, they kick out of it, and then we get double clotheslines, lines. Both men die. I just thought it was awesome, a tremendous uh, bomb fest, and I also thought it has great psychology because Scott gets riled up by the crowd, and he loses his composure, and he basically spends the match playing the subtle heel, um, and like when he's hitting those big bombs, and he's and he's shouting to the crowd, how, you know, how do you like that? Basically, um. And uh, Frankenstein for three. Great match. Four and a half stars for me. Um, And uh, from Meltzer, obviously, he gives it... uh, Meltzer gives it four and a half stars. What did did Keller give it? Five. Keller gave it five stars. I mean, it's like... Yeah, I mean, what else do you want from a... What else do you actually want from a, uh, you know... How long did this match go? Fifteen minutes.
0: It was. It was uh, like twelve minutes. So yeah. that's part of the problem to me. 12, I mean, that's twelve
2: minutes. Steiner sprint bomb fest. It,
0: I mean, it's just a sprint bomb fest, and that's that's part of it. I mean, I, uh, I I I I would subscribe this as a case of them doing too much in too little time.
2: You see, S- I I I think that the that the thesis, the analysis here that. Oh, this is a bomb fest. Therefore, it's got no psychology. is too is too overplayed. If you look at what actually happened in this match, there is a story, and it's a, quite an interesting story. These two guys who are used to getting cheered and they come to a foreign country, and the homeboys are getting much bigger pops than them, and it's pissing them off, and they're showing a dark side. And so, for this, just for this match, they're heels. I think it was. I think that's quite interesting. Like it's more compelling than uh, more compelling than. Uh, lots of other stories we see so h- how do you respond to this claim that...
0: uh, yeah I, I think you're overplaying how well i mean scott was being a douche but like i said rick was laughing when he did this shit and i don't think um i i, I thought some of the comebacks were too quick i mean like uh so so they work over jose for a while and then um have him grounded with some chin locks and some stuff like that. They bring the match down for a bit, and then and then Hase instead of tagging and immediately is able to kind of overpower Brick. Gets the uh, gets the giant swing. And they they go back and forth with that and continue. Um I mean he does make the hot tag and I do think this was worked in the general story that like the Americans were heels, but as far as the actual tag were like the opener I thought Pink uh Pillman and Zinc, I mean they were tagging in and out as much. Uh I, I I did like Scott Steiner a good bit in this match. Uh I think Rick drags it down a little bit and then like i said i do think it i I, I mean i think this match will also always gear more towards a bomb fest no matter what just because of the timing of it was there a little story yes but at the end of the day if you're ranking this match five stars it's based on the amount of action you saw and the amount of time and that to me is is something i like but it's not some it's not my favorite style of match Which is why I I have no problem calling this a very good match. But uh, it's tough for me to reach the great level.
2: I think five stars is too much for it. Um, But, like... I mean, can you remember what I gave that Doom match that I liked so much? I gave the Doom match a really high, high rating. Yeah, I
0: think, we, I think we were both. And that, to me, like I said, that's a better example of that. And I did think that match had a little more story in it with Doom wanting to assert themselves as the dominant team. Um, so uh, so that, uh, we, I know we were both north of four stars for that.
2: Right, Okay. Well this is gonna be this may be an interesting little thread all the way through ninety one though because I know what's coming up in uh i know what's coming up at super brawl as well yeah so uh you know we, this may be uh, one area where you and I diverge a little bit Chad. <laughs> but um i i just i don't know i i i don't think I can give a twelve minute match five stars that seems to be too much but uh yeah i I can see why this got plaudits at the time i i can understand- and i can understand why. I mean, match of the year seems to be a bit much because what about the war games? Doesn't he? Give yeah, a- I'm
0: still, I'm still really surprised. This actually won match of the year. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that kind of shows the overall, uh, like the overall kind of assertiveness of, of um. Of how Japanese wrestling kind of can get over with the U.S. audience or basically Meltzer's audience, yeah. because this is a little preview of, of my personal 1991 rankings. But this match is gonna have some trouble uh, clipping my top 100, honestly. Uh,
2: okay. Well, it, it'd probably be in my top 20 without doubt. Yeah. But, uh, you know, still, it's um. One thing I did notice though, cuz this is one of the things I'm I'm always interested in is that um all of those other guys, you know, the, the Scott Keith and the uh Dark Pegasus and all those 411 reviewers, mm-hmm. lots of them gave this match uh five stars as well. Um which just goes to show you how influential Dave was on those guys.
0: Yeah, uh, you don't see typically a ton of uh, discretion between them two, or discrepancy. So uh
2: so yeah,
0: I don't, I don't know.
2: It's funny, but it's funny, this is like the reverse of what we were talking about with those Garvin matches. Do you remember? Like um, Yeah,
0: well yeah, the Gar the Garvin thing that's gotta I mean, we're still at this, um I mean I don't I don't wanna read actually, an argument we made all throughout the eighties, but uh, Brad watched the Garvin Flair cage match too, and I, I, I still a match that I'm completely perplexed how people don't like. So that's a yeah.
2: Okay, um, let's move on then. It's uh the Great Muta versus uh Sting. I've uh, got. I'll say this is in my that will be in my contention when we do our end of 1991 lists. Uh, Chad, I can't see that match not being in my top five. Uh, Or top ten, at least. (laughs) Um, Just for WCW. It's going to be up there, isn't it? Um, Anyway, the great Muta versus Sting. Um, And this is a match we've seen before, uh, but they're rematching now, and uh, they did quite a decent job of uh, hyping the fact that Muta has been, uh, you know, he lost last time these two faced each other, and he's been thinking about um, getting his own back.
0: Yeah, so um, I had and when i watched this match the first time i kind of likened it to uh when these two face each other it looks like a comic book come to life
1: yeah
0: and and i i like that description i uh, i kind of agree with it here and stick by that and it felt even more true to form watching it this time so sting i thought was very awkward at times in this match which is uh, pretty unfortunate because now, I mean, you could kind of excuse that in 1988 when he was having his first run uh, as a company, but uh, now we're three years past that, so I'd like to see a little more polish on him from time to time. Some of his kicks looked out of place and he seemed out of position on some stuff. I thought M- Muda was really good during this match, um, and, and they basically were there house show i would say high spot type match to get big reactions from the crowd so a lot of dives uh, some heavy action where they both go for a double drop kick and jump high up into the air and then fall down uh, just kind of going around with that moonsaults and stuff like that and the finish is really cool as sting goes diving in for the stinger splash is able to miss him and then uh, is able to pick up the win, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty. I was a little surprised by that, that Muda won. I mean, I know we're kind of on the Muda's home turf. But yeah. him pinning staying clean, or relatively clean, even though he did miss him, uh, felt like a little bit of an upset to me.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so I like this match. But, uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention, uh, Ross explains why the seconds are there. Because they have seconds during this match. And I, I actually thought that he was doing a decent job of keeping the U.S. were in mind even as late as this in the card. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought they had a great fast-paced opening. Um, and both men were kind of did a good job of establishing their speciality, you know. Sting had his strength spots, M- Muto had his flash and his quickness. Um, and I, I thought, like, that comic book thing is very apt, Chad, because uh, this match seems like kind of two forces kind of meeting in the ring, you know. There's quite right. a lot of, like, parity in this match. Um, and the story this one uh, told is that um, they both wanted to win this so much that they were willing to take very high risks that then weren't paying off, but they kept on taking the, those risks anyway. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting how the crowd were kind of turning on Muta for using heelish tactics. So it was like yeah. they were booing him for cheating, basically. And then they booed Sting for uh, um, attacking him post-match, so it's like the crowd were like, "We want these two to be good guys, and anyone who's going to do any rule breaking is going to be booed." Do you notice that?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that.
2: Um, so yeah, it was interesting that he stole the pin after um, uh, the, using the mist. Three and a half from Meltzer.
1: Mm,
0: let's see, I mean, I would be around like three. Three and a quarter. Uh, I, I think I like the Steiner tag better. Um, now, now, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts. Whoever Keller had gave it four and a quarter.
2: Yeah, that's insane. Uh, it's a, it's about a three, I would say, about a three.
0: Yeah, I can go for a three with that.
2: Um, yeah, well, good match though. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think anybody. And um, probably one of the better matches we've seen from Sting in a while uh, on a, on our shows. Um, uh, which leads us into the main event, which is title versus title, Tatsugi, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami taking on the world champion, Ric Flair. Flair is in very, very serious mood here. He's very focused. Uh, and they play the anthems, uh, which is a bit unusual, but it did make this feel like a very big event. It's almost like a, a, an Olympic event or something, you know?
0: Right, right.
2: Um... It was weird that Bill Alfonso was the ref here. I wonder I, I, I mean I wonder why why they got him in and like why they couldn't have uh you know, Pee Wee Anderson or or whoever to do this. Um but I think they mentioned that Alfonso was uh, refed in Japan before.
0: Yeah, I know they said he was based in Florida, but uh was yeah, either had refed or was knowledgeable of the Japan Japanese, so I guess that's why.
2: Yeah. Um so, what do you make of uh, what do you make of this match? Because uh, this is another one uh, that seems to divide people.
0: Yeah, so so I I liken this to tell two matches. The first half, I'm not a fan of at all. I think uh, Fujinami looks pretty awkward. Uh, just not a lot going on. They have that really awkward thing where flares on the top rope and slips, and you can kind of see him recovering for a little bit. And then Flair blades on the outside, and to me the match really kind of uh, ratchets up a notch and uh, becomes a lot better, uh, to be honest. And I I like the ending stretch with Flair kind of flying around. Alfonso gets bumped, and then Flair gets taken over the top, uh, gets thrown over the top rope, which will come into play later. But uh I thought Fujinami showed good fire, kinda getting Flair reeling and Flair was begging off and kinda doing everything in his power to keep his uh keep his belt and uh Fujinami ends up pinning him with a grounded cobra twist when another referee comes in to count the fall. Uh but but yeah, so I I really think the first ten minutes of this match is nothing uh, not very interesting last kind of 12 to 14 is really good stuff. Um, so overall, I'd call it a good match. Maybe slightly disappointing with what, the, if you came in thinking these were the two, kind of the biggest star of Japan versus the or the best wrestler of Japan versus the best wrestler in the US. Uh, I, I didn't think this was a classic. I know some people have ranked this four stars and up. I'm, I'm not there, but... Uh, I did think this was a good match overall, and I'm interested to see when I rewatch the Super Brawl match whether I like that one better or not.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I can already tell you I like this match a fair bit better than the Super Brawl match. Um, I think it's a very interesting tactical battle. Um, And I I saw, I mean, I did have a look on uh, PWO, you know, what other people had said about this match as well. And uh, I think I'm higher on it than most people, especially this... um, this first 10 minutes, which seemed, uh, most people seem to not like that. I actually thought it was interesting because, um, Flair got a lot of offense, uh, of, uh, he was on top, basically, um, for extended period of this, uh, early going. I noticed that the Japanese fans hate it when Flair didn't go for the figure, you know, when he was setting up for the figure four?
0: <laughs> and then he teased it, it yeah. yeah.
2: and then instead he hit the leg on the ropes. It was like, the fans hated that. They were like, we want to see the figure four. Um, Ross uh, referenced the plane crash as uh, Fujinami went to work on the (laughs) back. (laughs) Um, But, see, the thing I noticed about this match is that it's like Fujinami couldn't get a lot going without Flair cutting him off. So this was Flair really working in a more kind of dominant mode. He was doing, like, a lot of dodges and counters. Wasn't giving Fujinami a lot. Um, Right. And he even, like, I know it looked a bit botchy when it happened, but he even counted getting thrown off the top. Um, there was a moment where he got thrown into the uh, turnbuckle and usually, like if that was against Sting or someone, you'd expect him to do a flare flip, but he didn't uh, f- flip and then he countered Fujinami running in. So I thought this was Flair working in a slightly different mode. This was Flair working as basically a world-class wrestler and showing that he still got it here in 91, you know, that um, whatever Fujinami's got, Flair's got an answer for. And he was, you know, doing a lot of counters. Um, He even busted out his uh, butterfly suplex, and you know it's a serious uh, match when uh, Flair does the butterfly, Um, the delayed vertical. Um, And then there was a really interesting call by Tony Schiavone, um, which I thought was really interesting. He said, it's almost like he's trying to think of something else to do, which is really uncharacteristic of Ric Flair. (laughs) That was a kind of uh, weird (laughs) call. Did you notice that? Um,
0: Yeah, that was, I thought, uh, pretty odd.
2: Yeah, it was almost like business exposing a call from Tony. But I, I think he was trying to think. It was like, what does he need to do to put away this guy? It didn't come across that way to me. Um, then Flair gets the juice, uh, and Fujinami takes it outside. Um, yeah, and I thought, but you know, we got the ref, but that well, hell of a ref bump by Alfonso.
0: Yeah, that was a good bump.
2: Uh, and then the Japanese uh, ref comes out for the controversial screwy, screwy uh, finish. Uh, Fujinami wins in controversial. Circumstances, and there's a lot of talk about the referee of record from Jim Ross, the referee of record. Um, what do you, I mean? I can see why they did the finish. I don't really like it uh, th- that much. What do you think of the finish, Chad?
0: Yeah, I mean the finish is uh, uh, not not crazy about the finish really at all. It's but um,
2: always have, so obvious. They always go to that, don't they? When
0: yeah, it, it feels like a a cop out. So. Uh, that that does hold the match, honestly, a good bit for me. But um, well,
2: for me, it's a it's a four star match. Okay. Um, Meltzer went three and a half.
0: Yeah, Keller went four. Whoever uh, is doing Keller's, and I, I, I'm at I'm at three and a half myself.
2: Yeah, I, I, I just think that the, there's an interesting, um, is an interesting psychology in this match from a. F- and this is from the perspective of having seen lots and lots of flare matches. He wrestles this one a bit differently. Uh, I do get the. I think Fujinami Fujinami takes a while to warm up in this match. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It takes him like good. I think you're right. He's it takes him about seven, eight minutes just to wake up. I think. But um, yeah, and I, I think it's a good match. And I I I, I need to rewatch the Super Brawl match. But I think I like this one a fair bit more than the than the Super Brawl one. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's my prediction anyway.
0: Yeah, I think I like this match a smidge more uh, than when I watched it when I was watching all the nineteen ninety one stuff. Uh, so it it kind of got bumped up a little bit for me.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. And then d- just after that, um, Sting cuts a promo with one of his eyes shut, uh, and he didn't expect such dishonorable tactics from uh, from Muta um so that suggests that there's a story going somewhere do we see mutter again
0: uh no (laughs) i don't know where that went uh did you get the little thing too with the press conference
2: yes well jim ross goes off to find uh he wants to go to the press conference to see what's going on so he leaves the booth and then flair comes in irate screaming Uh, and like fujinami sitting there with the belts (laughs) with dignitaries and things flair just comes in he's going nuts he steals the belt He takes it with him and shouts, if you want this, you're going to have to come to America for it. Um, So there we go. Now, I know this is clipped down from like a four hour show or something to just two hours here. But I thought for what we see on this video type, it's an excellent show. What do you think, uh, Chad?
0: Yeah, I mean, even though I was lower than probably uh, a lot of people in some of the matches, it still had... Four matches that I had at uh, at three star actually five because I uh, well no four um, four matches at three stars or above the uh, the the Anderson Wyndham tag is right around there too uh, I thought the opener was fine and inoffensive and then even the El Gigante thing was not uh, terrible so so overall a good show really good show I think
2: one of the better ones we've seen in a while and uh, coming straight off the back of Wrestle War neat little run here for WCW. They're kind of... They feel hot to me uh, without actually feeling hot, if that makes any sense. Like, these are good standalone shows, but I'm Mm -hmm. not sure how hot the product is, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I'd say the actual super shows are good, but the booking and some of the stuff around it is still a a mess,
2: so... Yeah, well, I'm glad that we uh, were able to track this down and actually watch it. Um... And I think, I mean, for me, this is a phenomenal show. It's got two matches at four stars or more. Um, and then all the others, I don't think I went lower than three. Apart from the opener, I gave two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that match has its fans. So, <laughs> yeah, I um, definitely recommended. Um Shall we do our uh, awards? I think this will be interesting. We may actually sure. uh, diverge significantly here.
0: Yeah, uh, probably.
2: Match of the night, I think I know what you're going to pick.
0: So, so, yeah, my match of the night is Liger versus Nogami. A yeah. uh, little bit of an upset, probably.
2: Yeah, well, my match of the night is obviously uh, Steiner Brothers versus uh, Hase and Sasaki. Without doubt. Um, and I think... Uh, but I do think that the, your pick is... Uh, that's also a good match, but you need to watch the full version. The, six, the uh Not the clip version that's on there.
0: Yeah, the clip version is so clipped. I don't think you can get a... a Understanding of how good the match is or not, well, really.
2: It basically comes across like a squash. Right. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, I think the title match is pretty good as well. Um, yeah. So. yeah. Uh, so, MVP, this is interesting.
0: Yeah, MVP, uh, very conflicted with. Um, I think there's a lot of good options and not one option that kind of jumps out to me as being uh, Slam Dunk. Uh, so, I'm going with Liger. Um, Just because I don't necessarily know if he'll ever get an MPP again, and I thought he was really good kind of getting the dome crowd behind him in that junior match. Had a really cool outfit. He sold his leg well and then uh, had the great comeback, so I'm going Jushin Thunder Liger.
2: I think I'm going to go with um, Hase. Yeah. I think he was really good in that match. He took all those moves, and he... Played to the crowd really well. He seemed like a, I mean, he seemed like a star in that match.
0: Yeah, Hase has a really good 1991. Um, very, very good year for him.
2: Um. So yeah, and then, well, Biddy Graham, worst worker.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's. Uh, I, I don't think there really is one worst worker. I uh, this. So I. It's tough because I thought about some people in that 6 man, and I don't like Koshinaki, but uh, but I just didn't think he did enough in this match to really warrant that. So I'm actually going with Rick Steiner, and my reasoning for that is I, I did think Scott was really good for his portion of the team. And I thought if Rick would have done a few things differently as far as being more annoyed, and, uh, I thought uh, Rick's execution was lacking a little bit on some of the moves. So uh, Rick Steiner, to me, was the fourth worst worker in that tag match. Right. And uh, so that's why I'm choosing him. But, uh, I mean, that's a, a, this was a show that doesn't really have a, uh, a Billy Graham deserved winner which so is, that's that's a good thing
2: which is amazing considering one of the matches was big cat versus el Guante.
0: right right
2: um yeah i'm struggling here for who the uh who i'd give graham to um or hmm. about tim horner is
0: that, yeah that's,
2: is that harsh
0: I, well i mean I, I think i mean we've already put that nobody really deserves it so i I, don't, I think that's fair he was he was fine
2: well, but he he it was a bit dan spivey like he was pulling out the moves <laughs> but he, like they didn't look they looked awkward you know
0: right so, yeah i can go for that
2: so yeah maybe tim horner on the basis of his execution wasn't that good but uh or maybe the japanese ref who came in at the end i don't know right? no tim horner tim horner <laughs> <laughs> um, so are we, we're going to Super Brawl next.
0: Yeah, Super Brawl's next, which feels kind of like the sequel to this show. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch.
2: What's happened to the clashes? They're just not. The clashes.
0: I mean, the, well, yeah, the clashes took a really weird break where they didn't have one from um, from January till June, and then after June they have one about every other. Uh, I know they have one in September. And uh, they have one in November, so so the clashes take a little bit of a hiatus at this point in time.
2: Well, should we? Uh, we haven't done a question for the listeners. Let me think now.
0: maybe uh, maybe interpromotional shows that are better than this.
2: Yes, better, in pro- better interpromotional shows. Uh, that would be a good. That's a really good question. Uh, or how about uh, j- j- Japanese versus American matches as well? maybe uh, like what's the best japanese versus american match you can think of
0: yeah um, yeah there's because... so
2: many of them but like um so yeah also uh also what a better what's a better 12 minute uh, spot fest than the uh than the steiners uh, cuz you said you could name some better ones i'm interested to see uh, if any listeners have got any ones they prefer
0: yeah okay. um, i mean i w- i think back to like a uh like a a tag match in 2001 that had the Spanish announced team in red versus Brian XL quiet storm and Chris Devine. Uh, I mean, that's like a 15 minute match. That's a pure spot fest. I do think the, uh, the Steiner's tag may have had a little more psychology than that one, but, uh, but yeah, that match just has some crazy, amazing spots in it. So.
2: All right. So, but I think the I think your question was the best, uh, are there any better inter-promotion, inter-promotional shows than this? I think it's an interesting question. Right. All right. Well, until next time, Chad. So long for now.
0: All right. See you, Parv.
2: Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying night, everybody.